Welcome back. It's Jokerman Podcast. I'm Evan. Ian. Isn't me. My name. Yeah. And the world's go- still gone wrong. I guess nowadays, you know, some people are going to be like, what do you mean the world's gone wrong? The world's gone right because we have Joe Biden in the, in the White House. Diamond Joe. Yeah. Uh, I, it's still wrong, I think. Yeah. Un- undoubtedly. Doesn't matter. Um, even though uh, Kamala Harris is in the White House, um, somehow the world's still not right. <laughs> just give just give him some time, and it it'll. That thing where she kept innocent people in prison despite knowing that they were innocent. Somehow that rubbed me the wrong way about her. Um, but time will tell, you know, she has a lot of time and Joe Biden has a lot of time to make that world start going right. Go right. Joe, Joe, Joe will do it. This has been Jokerman podcast. Thanks. Yep. (laughs) Thank you for, uh, tuning in once again to cutting political commentary here from, uh, two dumbasses. Uh, one of whom is wearing a pretty nice uh, cable knit sweater. There. That's right. I bought a cable knit sweater today. Um, it's white. It's sort of you know, it's cream colored. It's pure. It's pure wool. Off wool. Off white. It's it's an off white color. Um, and it's is that is that a new sweater? Or is that vintage? It's vintage. Uh, yeah. It has sort of a diamond pattern in the middle. I love cable knit sweaters because they're so crazy. It looks insane. That's the first thing I noted when when we logged on tonight. That's just right. It's just jumping off the screen to me. Look at this sweater. Yeah. Um. You know, I almost bought just like the plain wool sweater in this in this color in like a beige in a white off white ivory color, and I thought to myself, you know, a, a cable knit sweater is so much more of a a, a statement. Um, yeah, it's a statement sweater, exactly. And yet, it's such a classic item of clothing, and that's really what what this album is like. Actually, <laughs> it's you know, it's a classic uh, piece or a lot of classic elements, like a cable knit sweater, like something that you recognize that's been around for hundreds hundreds of years, really. Sure. And yet, passed down throughout the ages. Right, literally, you know, passed down. There's you know, cable knit sweaters. They say they were made to recognize the sailors' uh, dead bodies when they washed up on the shore. Uh, you could recognize the pattern. Is that, is yeah, that see, what they said? Well, you could recognize yours. If, but when the body was all rotten and bloated, you could still recognize the, specific, the specificity right, of the pattern. Right, because each sailor had his own Cable individual, unique, I say. That's I how say. the story goes anyway. Um, right, right, right. So... Uh, it's a story that sounds like it's it would be right at home on this record, um, but also just in a more uh, metaphorical sense, if you'll indulge me, it's like uh, like the songs on this record. It's like uh, something familiar, and yet there's so much intricacy to it, so much going on, um, and uh, that's how the songs are on here. It's some, they're all very familiar. You think you've got them figured out, but as Bob Dylan will tell you in the liner notes, which he wrote. For this album from 1993 uh, of acoustic classic folk covers arranged by him, um, there's a lot more going on under the hood than might m- first uh, appear to you. 
that's my wow. my that's and there you go like like magic i've just justified the entire reason for our podcast <laughs> it's all been put together that's a, that's a beautiful holistic theory that unites uh your sweater and world gone wrong and everything sort of together under one convincing definitely true that's the key word con- interpretation con- convincing yeah <laughs> i think that what i said was convincing um, uh well before we uh before we before we dip our toes back in uh back into the songcraft on this record i think it's time for everyone's favorite segment uh the part <laughs> where we talk about the cover yeah yeah um we're gonna have to get a sponsor for this gosh well the cover i why don't you just go ahead because i feel like you're itching to discuss the cover i mean it's this is just one of uh, i think one of the signature uh album covers uh that we've gotten from bob i think it's um, one of the it's an iconic album cover yeah, yeah absolutely um you know especially in this in this run of covers which have been to be frank, pretty unremarkable since Empire Burlesque, I would say. Knocked Out Loaded is remarkable, if only because it's so ugly. Uh, and then we've got, um, uh, you know, Down in the Groove and Oh Mercy and Under the Red Sky and uh, and Good As I've Been to You, all of which are somewhere between, like, not that great and, like, fine. World Gone Wrong really just kind of, like, just announces itself here uh, uh, right off the bat. I'd, I'd say the overwhelming kind of defining uh element of this cover is is the color green yeah it's a very uh, sickly green there's exactly. a distinctly like uh proto i guess maybe in just grungy grunge vibe yeah absolutely uh typewriter sort of text over this black and um it it yeah, there's there's kind of a mealy, grungy, sickly, oversaturated look to it. Yeah, it it is. It's all. It, it's a visual interpretation, one might say, of a world that has gone wrong. Yeah, it's the a, image. The image is sort of is. off kilter. It's not quite a Dutch angle, but it's like not. It's not exactly you know dead on you know kind of level. So so. It, it, things are kind of askew. We've entered a, a a a perverted dimension where Bob Dylan is some sort of top hat wearing, cane carrying pervert. You know, you know what's um, interesting to me is um, this era of Bob Dylan's career. I feel like is kind of like in sync with Tom Waits at this point in time. Whereas mm. in '92, Tom Waits releases Bone Machine. Right. And then also in 93 releases The Black Rider, his like is a collaboration with William S. Burroughs, German folktale stuff going on in there. Anyway, I just think it's interesting um, that there's this kind of weird European, creepy European vibe happening. They say, right. but then they're friends, by the way. Tom yeah. and Bob. Um also, yeah, it seems like Bob is maybe being influenced a little by that with this like top hat and cane type of vibe. That seems it's just really like, a confounding kind of image. It's the only reference point I have for Bob Dylan appearing as he does here uh, is like, well, I guess Tom Waits, friend of Bob, is sort of 
another notable singer songwriter artist who who he might have been like getting some cues from like now it's time right. to do this type of thing now is the this vibe is now hot wearing a top <laughs> hat <laughs> top hat green top hat cane uh and uh sort of just like weird angles uh in uh in photographs right uh, I'm looking up the the cover in Google Images so I could like find the back cover as well, and I've also been greeted with uh, yet another classic uh, bootleg uh, title here. Good as I've been in a world gone wrong. That's right. That's right. That's, that's you know I was just sitting at that. That's low hanging fruit right there. It is. I um, mean, yeah. This the I'm looking at the some other images on this album, like the interior of this record has an image, I believe it's the inside, another picture of Bob Dylan wearing this top hat at this bar, holding a glass of brown liquor of some kind. Um, It just looks very like swordfish trombones or something. He's wearing, it might not even be, I don't even know if it's a cane, I think it might be an umbrella. Because I'm looking at another picture here now, and he's holding it up here. And uh, here, I'll, I'll turn on the share screen here so you can see what I'm looking at. Uh, it, right? This, that, is this not? That looks an, like an umbrella to me. That's an umbrella. But looks there's like, other pictures, and he's wearing gloves. And he's wearing, yeah, leather gloves. Leather gloves. He sort of, he looks like a Batman villain. Is, is Yes, he looks like of, the penguin, kind of. The penguin, or the Riddler, or something like that. Um, you know, he, so this picture was taken in, in, uh, in London. In at London, the yeah. at the at Fluke's Cradle Cafe bar in Camden Town, and uh, hanging behind Dylan is a painting, Le Étranger. Yeah, it apparently inspired Le by Tranger. the Camden novel. Is that am I saying that wrong? Le Étranger, Le Étranger. This the stranger basically. Oh, the French. stranger. Oh, I've read yes. I've read that book. Yeah, it's uh, it's a classic. Uh, a classic by Albert the, Camus in the autism canon. Uh, is the, yeah, yeah. It seems like, uh, the character in that you could make the case that the, the, the character of the stranger has autism. <laughs> uh, like, uh, Johnny Cash, uh, uh, sings about in that song. I've got autism th- blues. <laughs> no, that song. I've got a thing about trains by Johnny Cash. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, the first song on this record will bring up uh, Johnny Cash once more. Um, Absolutely. Why don't you uh, honk on Bobo, please, for me, Ian? Thank, thanks. Uh, I'm I'm sort of free freestyling on that. All right, it, it works. We got Delia. Uh, this is. The wife of Silvio, Silver and Gold. <laughs> Delia. Sil- silver and Gold. No, no. It's just, it's a song that was also covered by Johnny Cash. That was why I brought him. Yes, yeah. Which we mentioned at the end of the last episode. It, it And it was and it wasn't covered by Johnny Cash because it, it oh? uh, obviously is, De- you know, it is it is the same kind of folk song. Uh, that um, that they're referencing here the same it is the same Delia that they're referring to, but the songs themselves are are like 
it's not even a cover basically it's the mm. same story but it's a different tune it's a different lyric there's there's very little in common besides literally just the word delia um and the story that uh that uh, that goes along with her um sort of another this is another kind of tragic um you know murderous love ballad in in the lineage of love henry from the first side um and this one actually based in a real a real genuine story uh delia uh, was a 14 year old girl uh, who was murdered by her boyfriend um no. for some reason uh in 1900 or something and then inspired this uh this this folk song um that has been interpreted by uh by many many an artist i think this is another blind willie mctell one actually um or at least one that blind willie mctell has performed himself um and yeah this is just a very um kind of downer track certainly a downer start to side two on the record but you know like we've said all along folks this is a world it it's not a world that's gone right it's a world gone wrong yeah you know what song this reminds me of um is the song exo tour life by Lil uzi vert because he has the refrain, all all the friends I ever had are gone. You know, uh, that sounds accurate. I can't say. That's the song by Lil Uzi Vert um, that goes, uh, all my friends are dead. Push me to the edge. It's like a, more there or is that? that was it. You know, he says that in it a bunch okay. of times. I was, but wait, I was waiting to see. No, no, no. That's, that's just uh, something he says a lot in that song. And it's a song where it doesn't really have anything to do with that, um, except for that the thing he says. He says, all my friends are dead. And this song also is just a song that seems to be about Delia, and then he just, and about how she's sort of a gambling, rough, rough living type of lass. And then it just says, all, <laughs> all the friends I ever had are gone, by the way. Yep. Sort of an emo start to side two here. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it definitely is a sort of an upsetting track. Um, uh, at least if you listen to the lyric, uh, you know, it, musically it's in line with everything else that's going on on this record. It's not like it has suddenly taken a left turn in terms of the sound. Uh, it's sort of just kind of, you know, Bob strumming along. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty not not great vibes uh you know delia's uh, boyfriend getting sentenced to jail for 99 years apparently the real guy who did kill delia real life delia uh, got out after 12 so uh maybe that's good or bad uh depending on uh, uh once again your your opinions on toxic masculinity um you know <laughs> that's sure. that's the world folks that's the world gone wrong yeah um, pretty good song. Yeah, it's good. It should also note, Delia's Gone, you know, that's the version that Johnny Cash recorded, and this one is just called Delia. Uh, first song on American Recordings from 1994. I didn't put this together myself, but uh, making me think, making me uh, suspect that uh, Johnny just stole this concept right out from Bob Um because it came out the year after this mm. record, right? Which was American Recordings was his first, you know, it's the record with him and Rick Rubin, just a sort of a reinvention, late career reinvention right. of Johnny. Right, right. Uh, where it's just him singing songs um, and uh, playing an acoustic guitar. 
same exact thing. Yeah, standard. yeah, just re uh, reappraising or sort of like just going, hey, I remember who the hell I am. I'm Johnny Cash or I'm Bob Dylan. I can just do more with just this acoustic guitar than most people can with a whole band. Right. Um. Yeah, and the 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 Johnny Cash record, at least I think, is kind of often held up. There's you know there's a series of those American right, and of course records. Rick Rubin does a lot to gussy up that they're very um, grand minimalist records. It's self conscious. Yeah, think is very self conscious. Yeah, it's like yes, they are stripped down, but they're also like really theatrical in the yeah, way that statement kind of yeah things. it's it's not um, casual in terms of how it's like the the mixing and everything i mean those are those have become really sort of like touchstone records for anybody yeah. who thinks about johnny cash i mean that's like where uh it's around that time like from one of those records is where like that famous cover of hurt by nine inch nails comes right exactly and uh so yeah, some of those tracks are really amazing um like yeah, when the man comes around, uh, that one's incredible. They're good records, but it's it's just funny that you know Johnny seems to have kind of swiped the idea right out of Bob's hands uh, a couple years after him, and uh, and they're they're thought of as these late career like absolute peaks for him and for Bob. These are almost just kind of like asterisk records in his yeah in his career on the way towards you know, his next original release, which is well, he's a, years he's a younger man too. And it's a, it is, it's just a different career trajectory that we have sure. going on there. I mean, we, right. we should do a, some, maybe some Johnny cash stuff just on our, on our, on our Patreon, just some, just some cash. Well, we'll, we'll certainly get to that once we get to the, uh, you know, the, what they call it traveling through, right. The bootleg series released from a couple years ago. Uh, yeah. So. When Bob and Johnny did their uh, sessions together, right. right, that's right. Uh, well, song two, song two is uh, Stackily. Yes, yeah, st- what's called here Stackily? What, what what many people might know as Staggerly. Yes, um, a song has been you know covered a million times. Nick Cave, obviously, uh, oh, one of the more famous. St- Dagger Lee heads. Um, also sung and played a lot by the Grateful Dead. Um, it, it's just sort of a a big uh, old time sort of murder ballad type of epic. Um, what does Bob himself have to say about it in the liner notes again? Because I'm curious what he says about his interpretation here of Stackley. I won't quote quite all of it, but... Uh... Stackley is Frank Hutchison's version. What does the song say exactly? It says, No man gains immortality through public acclaim. Truth is shadowy. In the pre-post-industrial age, victims of violence were allowed. In fact, it was their duty to be judges over their offenders. Parents were punished for their children's crimes. We've come a long way since then. The song says that a man's hat is his crown. Futurologists would insist it's a matter of taste. They say, let's sleep on it, but theory already living in the sanitarium. 
No rights without duty is the name of the game, and fame is a trick. Playing for time is only horsing around. Uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of that. Uh, ends with, uh, Billy didn't have an insurance plan, didn't get airsick, yet his ghost is more real and genuine than all the dead souls on the boo. <laughs> this is it's a real uh, uh, moment in time here in 1993. Uh, more real and genuine than all the dead souls on the boob tube. Yeah. Uh, a monumental epic of blunder and misunderstanding, a romance tale without the cupidity. Yeah. Uh, boob tube. That's a, that's boob a, tube. I, I, we should bring that back. That's a great way to refer to the television. Right. A great way to refer to it. Right. Talking boob tube. T- Mr. Talking TV talking song over here. TV, TV talking song. Talking boob tube blues. Talking staggerly, staggerly boob tube massacre blues. <laughs> um, yeah, this song is, uh, well, he says a mouthful there. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I get what he's saying, uh, when he talks about like, isn't it weird that like, you know, kid like parents used to be punished for like the crimes of their children. It, it's like, um, an, an old time vision of like what, what the dynamics of like violence and like politics of violence in mm-hmm. the world used to be like, um, it's like somebody would, you know, wrong you. And then you like are kind of like you, you ought to re- revenge yourself. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Am I onto <laughs> something? Maybe. Um, what's, what's the song about, you know, the song is about Lee Shelton, uh, a, a, another real life, uh, American figure, late 19th century gambler mm-hmm. who, uh, worked on a train for some period of time and, uh, and then was also I like a gambler, it already. uh, yeah, man, me too, uh, who killed several folks. Uh, interestingly, uh, Lee Shelton, uh, I've got some notes here, um, uh, went to prison, uh, killed several people. Uh, went to prison several times uh, and was pardoned several times for these murders. So, you know, this was kind of the, the glory days of um, murder in America <laughs> where you could just kill people and go to jail and then the governor would pardon you and you would get out and then you would just kill someone again and go to jail again. But then you would also get pardoned yet again. Uh, yeah, you know, really that, kind that of Wild uh, West style of law and order. Exactly. Yeah, the the lack of law and order. Uh, in in a sense, you get a little bit. You get some. Yeah, a little bit. You get some. In you know, you get some law. You get some order. You get some murder. You get some law and order again. Yeah, you get just enough law and order, but not too much. Honestly, it sounds like it was a lot snappier. You know, things could just kind of move along. You know, kill someone, do your time. Like doing time, kind of meant something different then. You know, it was like. Yeah, you do your time, and then you come back out. And then you get out, yeah, yeah. I think human life in general was just somewhat less precious uh, in the 19th century, yeah, you know, yeah. from uh, the, from, you know, dying of tuberculosis kind of thing. Like, you know, you have seven kids, maybe only three or four of them are going to make it. Uh, same thing here, you know, you're a guy, you're shooting, you're shooting some people down in the street. You know, that's, that's not great. We'll put you in jail, but, you know, you can get out in a couple months and then sort of go on about your day. Um, uh, I do like, uh, and so this, uh, you know, staggeringly, obviously, like Evan was mentioning, 
a uh, another kind of folk standard performed by many throughout the years. James Brown has also apparently done a version, although I haven't listened to it. Um, um, Bob's version here, the lyric here, the arrangement, whatever, uh, centers around uh, Staggerly or, or Stackily uh, having had his hat stolen from him. Uh, the guy he murders in this song uh, had had stolen his Stetson hat, his John B. Stetson hat, sort of a big, you know, wide brim, mm-hmm. ten gallon kind of hat. Uh, and I really just, you know, kind of like the idea of uh, running into a guy who stole your hat in a bar, and then you murder him <laughs> because he stole your hat. <laughs> well, hats hats were a bigger deal back then. I guess so. And it must have been murdering nice someone was way less of a big deal. Exactly. Yeah. So I, this I is think this that's... is a time when hats. Were more valuable than human life. Human lives. <laughs> we uh, we have I'd, to go back. <laughs> I'd like to get a Stetson. Uh, please join the Patreon so uh, so Ian can get a Stetson. So that I can get a Stetson. <laughs> and so I can kill Ian for his Stetson. For my Stetson, yeah. I'm looking up Stetsons right now. They're pretty nice looking they hats. They are. They're good. I got some $100. targeted ads for a Stetson. Oh for for Stetsons recently, and uh, I was tempted, you know. Oh, they have a Stetson hat case. There's a special case for a Stetson hat. Of course, hat, like a hat leather, box. like a hard leather kind of travel case. Yeah, it's like that Nirvana it. song, hat shaped box. <laughs> exactly. Uh, um. Anyway, uh, that's Staggerly or Stackily. Stackily, yeah. Um, a little faster pace than most of the other songs on the record also. Yeah. A little more of a sort of an, an, an adventure song. Yeah. Or something. I don't know. Um, this next song, if, if we can, if we can move on, uh, has some really, really wild liner notes. I mean, not that those weren't, but, um, the next song is, uh, Two soldiers. Two soldiers. Um, I really introduced to Bob by the great Jerry Garcia. Yeah, Jerry Garcia showed this one to Bob. I think this is also one of the best ones on the record. I think it's really amazing. It's a beautiful song. Uh, it's performed amazingly well. And um, I don't really know what it's about because I haven't. Like I, whenever I hear it, I yeah, I find it's easier for me just to like get lost in the music and the vibe, and the and the sound and the feeling of it. That's so than beautiful. The, of you. Than the lyrics, um, themselves. This is another English folk song. We're back to those uh, that was actually transplanted to America, you know, via the English tradition, um, and then once in America you know, made its way down south and somehow transmogrified into, you know, this version that Bob is singing here, uh, transmogrified into sort of an American folk song about an experience uh, of fighting the Civil War. Um, so kind of an interesting sort of, uh, you know, cultural something, not appropriation, but well, cultural. That's, that's what you call folk music, baby. That's folk yeah, exactly. music. If there's it's, any uh, example just... we can give of what that means... It's like a song being written in Europe or uh, somewhere far away and then coming to another country, in this case America, and then just becoming an American song somehow because there's something so universal about this song that like 
people can't help but twist it around to to suit their own personal experience. Yeah, I think you know it just makes its way to American people and and you know folk songs uh, are are songs that are meant to be reinterpreted and and sort of adjusted to your own personal circumstances uh, instead of you know staying fixed in stone the way that like you know the copyright um uh system would would have it be uh, and so that's how this turns into a song that begins he was just a blue-eyed boston boy um mm-hmm. uh, his voice was low with pain uh you know and and again this was an english kind of folk song um uh, this version or this interpretation i think uh was uh, a lomax um you know sort of uh, object that yeah. was found as well uh on on that initial kind of foray into the country um and uh and so and it had been around for several hundred years before he captured it and then he did and you know then yeah another 60 years after that bob uh bob has reinterpreted it himself um it's just incredible i really think it's just so beautiful i love this performance i'm listening to it now it's his voice is so ragged and uh weary and full of feeling and the, the liner notes are, I, I guess I'll just read them. Cause I, I don't know that I'm going to be much good, like describing the plot of the song, but uh, leave it to Bob himself here to kind of trace out a great vibe scape uh, to use a term. Jerry Garcia showed me two soldiers Uh, Hazel and Alice do it pretty similar. A battle song extraordinaire. Some dragon officer's epaulets laying liquid in the mud. Physical plunge into Limitationville. That's pretty good. War dominated by finance. Again, that's like a a theme that he seems to really be dwelling on in these liner notes. Uh, Lending money for interest being a nauseating and revolting thing. Love is not collateral. Hitting them where they ain't in the imperfect state that they're in. America, when mother was the queen of her heart, before Charlie Chaplin, before the wild one, before the children of the sun, before the celestial grunge, grunge making appearance, that term, before the insane world of entertainment exploded in our faces, before all the ancient and honorable artillery had been taken out of the city, learning to go forward by turning back the clock, Stopping the mind from thinking in hours, firing a few random shots at the face of time. Like, uh, yeah, (laughs) that's something, again, I I just, I love about this record and about moments like this on the record. It's like you get a song that seems just kind of really poignant and mysterious, but maybe you don't, I'm speaking for myself here, maybe like can't really exactly say why why or what what there is about it but um leave it to bob to uh sort of entice you and confirm that sense of mysterious beauty um because he definitely sees a lot going on here and um it keeps me engaged just to read that and then want to listen to the song again and sort of like imagine for myself like what the what's happening what's being communicated in this song that that, what is bob seeing in it and what can i see in it uh, from that point 
Yeah, you know, it kind of strikes me like reading these lighter notes or hearing you recite them and then looking at the lyric of the actual song on the page, like there's this, like there's this delta between, like all these songs are very simple and very straightforward and easy to understand. Like the words on the page, they're just, they're most of them are just stories, like, and most of them are about stories, stories about death, um, you know, um, but these, these, liner notes that Bob has written like like complicate them so much. Yes, yeah. Um and and but there's something like really kind of fascinating about that. And, and not complicating them in a bad way, but like sort of um taking just this very simple elemental kind of material and um and He's like able to unlock them somehow. Yeah, or Um, or like like tease them out into these bigger, like grander kind of um, tableaus or something more more than they are on the page. It certainly speaks to his the way that Bob Dylan understands folk music. I mean, if you listen to his uh, speech, there's a recorded version of it that he did uh, for the Nobel Prize. He talks a lot about his early experiences really uh, devouring all kinds of folk music and, and just goes into great like emotional detail sort of about how much it meant to him and how he knew that stuff backwards and forwards. Um, I don't have it in front of me of exactly what he says uh, regarding the folk music. Maybe that would be good to pull up, but um it's something also we see in our recent episodes about uh, the bootleg series volume one. It's like these simple or seemingly simple types of folk songs always meant so much more to Bob Dylan's like creative imagination. And it was his whole career has been kind of like a journey to crack that open and actually show you like more and more of what he sees in these songs or something like that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think that's, that's about as, as well as you can say it. Like these are all, these are all very just basic, easy to understand, uh, tales, um, and more stories than they are songs in, in many cases. Um, and yet Re- hearing these and just like encountering these songs as you do on this record and um in, to some extent also on good as i've been to you it's really kind of fascinating to me because it's like you're seeing like it's like a zen poem or something or like a zen koan or where you just like get the the raw unprocessed uh text and you just have this feeling that there's so much more to it that you just can't figure out yet. Right, right, right. Like, like there's, there's so much more beneath the surface, mm-hmm. uh, that, that isn't apparent, uh, initially, uh, but that's kind of what Bob is gesturing at with these liner notes. Yeah. It's like, he's seen the other side of this and, right. you, and you can't really see it yet. Yeah. As simple and easy to understand as these songs are in our basic realm, they are they are that uh, deep and and difficult to understand in the shadow realm mm-hmm. that Bob is is operating in and writing from. Are they, are they easy to understand from the shadow realm? Like we 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 just can't be there. Sure. 
And he's certain, something like he, that. He's the intermediary. Right. Next, we've got a Jack Arrow. I think this is just a nice, um, just from a sequencing point of view, a nicely sequenced record. And I think this one works well as a penultimate track. Right. It's kind of like brings the energy back up a little bit Mm -hmm. um, from the sort of grand and uh, emotional two soldiers. Um, Is this song about pirates? That's That's my question. I don't know that it's about pirates necessarily. It is about a sailor. Okay. Um, Close enough. A, a sailor who is who is loved by a uh, wealthy merchant girl in London, I believe. Uh, Jack or Jet Sailor Jack is the sailor. Yeah. Basically. No, there was no, there was a wealthy merchant in London. He did dwell. He had a lovely daughter. So. Um, Right, he was His, mer- and this merchant's daughter loved Jackie Frazier or Jack O'Rell, uh-huh. uh, this this sailor who presumably is is below her, uh, at least as far as uh, social status uh, is concerned. Um, and yet they married this couple. They got married so well they did agree. And this couple they got married so why not you and me? Oh, so why not you and me? Mm-hmm. So even there, you know, we can see Bob is using this sort of simple uh um parable as a um uh, explanation uh, or uh, analogy or metaphor or something for uh, his own uh his own desires or something i don't know i don't know really what the song's about either uh <laughs> it's sort of a love song it's a love song yeah, it's it's a girl loves boy, rich girl loves poor boy, and lady in the tramp kind of. And then thing. there's a war. There's a war, yeah, and um, a lot of people die again. Just a lot of death. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to prattle on about it. I, belabor the it's point. It's just a good song. I mean, uh, what? It, but it's not. It's not out of the ordinary for this record. World gone wrong. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's that's sort of the the overwhelming takeaway here is that um this is like it, Bob Bob very easily could have selected a suite of folk songs that were uh sort of, you know, looking on the bright side, happy uh, or or at least um, you know, kind of um uplifting if if not happy, uh straightforward and uh, and that's decidedly not what he did uh with this with this collection um they're all almost uniformly about um death or doomed love or depression or you know just some sort of fucked up something um and uh i don't know it it's uh it, it, it that to me is what makes this kind of a compelling um a, a compelling song suite or compelling selection uh, overall is just the way that he is kind of speaking to his mental state and his interpretation of the world. Um, not, not by, not by even writing a single lyric, um, you know, besides from these just, liner yeah, notes just arranging it and performing it. I mean, it, exactly. And, and the liner notes again, they just sell it. Like it really feels like what could have been what you could look at as like, oh, this is sort of a low effort, just like hashing out some songs he already knows. It doesn't feel that way. It doesn't come across that way. It actually feels like a very thoughtful and personal uh, expression, um, this record. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel much more kind of like um, 
satisfied or, or much more in tune with Bob's state of mind or message or something, uh, having listened to this record versus something like Under the Red Sky, which was ostensibly a collection of original songs that he himself wrote and recorded. And, you know, those are his direct thoughts from from his mind, you know, onto tape mm-hmm. uh, into your ears. And yet I, I, I struggle to sort of make sense of what he's saying or trying to put across with something like that. Uh, much more so than I do with a record like this that is all covers, and yet the way that the the tracks are arranged and sequenced and recorded, uh, the, like that does that says everything that needs to right there. And uh, on that note, I think that um, we can get on to the final track, which is called "Lone Pilgrim," which I think is uh, a perfect end, a perfect capstone to this album um, and its themes, which are again we come to the end of another album where it feels like wow this one is really not like what you'd call fun uh it's, it's sort of heavy um and this song's like maybe the heaviest but also there's yeah just sort of a solemn beauty that uh this song this album has and that this song especially um really brings home uh, lone pilgrim is like a song this is about sort of uh, I mean, I can read the lyrics. So it, it's pretty short. I came to the place where the lone pilgrim lay and patiently stood by his tomb. When in a low whisper, I heard something say, how sweetly I sleep here alone. The tempest may howl and the loud thunder roar and gathering storms may arise. But calm is my feeling at rest is my soul. The tears are all wiped from my eyes. The call of my master compelled me from home. No kindred or relative nigh. I met the contagion and sank to the tomb, my soul to the mansions on high. Go tell my companion and children most dear to weep not for me now I'm gone. The same hand that led me through seas most severe has kindly assisted me home. Interesting and uh, uh, eerie that he mentions a contagion killing him. (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, of of the moment apparently this is in fact about an actual lone pilgrim um joseph this was (laughs) i've throughout all these are like actually staggerly was real um actually (laughs) delio is real there was are you do you mean to tell me that somebody was a pilgrim Someone was, in fact, a lone pilgrim. Oh, yeah, this was Joseph Thomas. I'm sorry. Uh, I a, I just uh, was listening to it and uh, on my streaming service. And as so often happens, uh, I come to the end of that Bob Dylan record I'm listening to. And the first next song that the uh, algorithm uh, comes up with is uh, Handle With Care. <laughs> yeah, like without fail like you could be listening to any later period Dylan record on a certain streaming service even this like solemn death ballad and then you get I've been beat up and batted around <laughs> that's, that's pretty good um, uh, and on that note folks uh, subscribe to the Jokerman Patreon uh, we have we have a visit back to the Wilburys verse uh, coming up for you very soon yeah uh, back if, to the uh, San Fernando Valley <laughs> and Malibu and back to the, the Tony Soprano fucking house yeah and, in Los Angeles suburbs. Um, but I'm sorry, I, I ruined the vibe. Uh, light a votive candle again for the Lone Pilgrim. 
Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Lone Pilgrim Joseph Thomas uh, was an 18th, 19th, or excuse me, uh, born in the 18th century, was a preacher in eastern Mississippi in the 19th century, died of smallpox, which is the contagion that we're talking about here. Right. Um, this was a song that was adapted from a poem written about Thomas by another preacher um, uh, uh, um, who, I don't know, sought him out a couple years later or something. I, it's, you know, okay. that's what these people did back then. Uh, but it was a smallpox. Well, it's a song that uh, I think is kind of a perfect ending, as I said, because it, on a record full of songs about death, it's one that, um, I suppose it's a, a, a cold comfort type of song. It's like, yes, I'm dead, but I, I'm finally at peace and, uh, don't, don't worry. Don't mind me. Don't you worry about me. <laughs> I'm just dead over I'm here. I'm just dead. Yeah, it's fine. Guess I'll just die of smallpox. It's, it is, you know, whatever. Like, but it, you know, like it's a, anyone needs to worry about me. I'm just dead. It's a religious, uh, song, you know, in a way it's sort of a spiritual song. It, it reminds me a little bit of that feeling you get on one of my favorites from bootleg volume one, another traditional music, uh, type cover, uh, the moonshiner uh, moonshiner yeah another song sort of which has a lot in common with all of these on this record which is maybe why i like this record so much um these sort of existential uh sort of universal character study type songs um and this one is is touching in its simplicity and sort of like solemn uh spirituality i i like this one yeah yeah i think this is a good a good song to end the record and to end this this brief kind of project or foray that that bob has gone off in this direction. this is the last of these right cover songs um uh in this in this kind of run and after this it's going to be another well for that matter it's it's a great one to uh end that short sort of period but also i think it's a great uh, segue into the next proper album um, and its themes and and vibe. You emo Bob, yeah. Which I speak, of course, of the uh, the great time out of mind. Nineteen ninety nine, excuse me, nineteen ninety seven. Seven, yeah, yeah. Um, although we've got uh, at least one live album to get through before That's we right. get to that. Yeah. Um. It, yeah, I mean this. Uh, you know this 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 chunk of time in Bob's career. I know this is now the fourth episode that we've Come. devoted to this. Yeah, stuff. thank you for uh, listening through, and I'm I'm glad that instead of a like a you know going out with a bang, we go out with like a quiet rumination on the inevitability of the grave. Yeah. Uh, but in you know at the end of the day, this this period literally did just last for like a year in his career, basically. Um, and uh, and it's 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 tough to get a sense of time. I think uh, certainly you know if you're following if you're playing along at home with us and listening to the episodes because uh, they're just coming out one after the other week by week. But um, you know uh, it, it was two years after uh, Red Sky that Good as I've Been to You came out. Um, you know, two years after that, and it's gonna be another four years until Time Out of Mind um, uh, comes out, which is the next proper studio record that he releases. So this is really kind of a 
a, a fallow period, a, a, a pause that Bob has decided to take in his career. Um, and, uh, and you can almost think of these folk records as just kind of like little, little, uh, amuse, uh, amuse bushes. Yeah. Um, or divorces. Uh, or, uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, on your way to the next, um, the next kind of, uh, main course, uh, interesting, uh, interesting stop along along the road of his career well which we're getting to soon we will get and, to that uh, soon and it'll be are almost there it'll be fun um yeah because everyone everyone has a lot to say about time out of mind they certainly do uh well it's that time what, what do you uh what do you say we give this record our three-star system treatment what what do you absolutely this is a two-star record for me, uh, and it's two stars, and uh, Good As I've Been To You was one star because this is just, this is a better version of this, this kind of folk covers uh, uh, concept, to me, at least. You know, I, I certainly mm-hmm. understand the appreciation for Good As I've Been To You uh, and some of the tracks on there, but, uh, you know, when you've only got three stars to choose from, you gotta be... You got to be pretty sparing about the ratings that you assign, and so if I need to emphasize mm. that this is a better version mm-hmm. of the folk covers concept, the, the good I've been to use got to get a one. Well, this got to get a two. See, while I uh, agree with you in in on paper, uh, I have to just uh, amp it up because I gave "Good as I've Been to You" a two out of three because I think it's good. I I don't think there's really anything wrong with it. And I have to give this record a three out of three stars because not only do I think there's nothing wrong with it, but I think that it is greater than the sum of its parts. Given the concept of this album being just these acoustic folk covers, I think you get a really cohesive sort of thoughtful vision of these songs and what they mean to Bob Dylan as an artist out of that. It doesn't just feel like he's rattling off songs. He knows it does actually feel like a proper album. Um, and I really think those liner notes go a long way to helping me really commit to giving it that old, the big three stars. The liner, um, the liner notes just make me really feel like this is not a uh, low effort. And this is like, something that I will, I think, be coming back to at various points in my life. And I think that it's um, a record that still holds mystery for me, like that I don't see going away anytime soon. As we've discussed earlier on the episode and on the episode before, these songs seem like still kind of shadowy and um, specifically Dylan's versions of them i think they like hold some secrets i still haven't really uh tapped fully unlocked yeah so uh i gotta i gotta hand it to him i think that for uh, for what you get this is executed uh as as well as it possibly could have been well folks you heard it here first uh this is this is why Jokerman is so great because you get three star ratings from Ian, which makes sense. Things like blood on the tracks, desire. Well, look, oh, look, mercy. use your head, Ian. I'm not talking about this. This is we're comparing uh, 
if I give this one three stars, it's not like it's the same type of three stars that I'm giving to. Uh, oh, so now there's a there's a different well, subjective version. Yeah, of, yeah, there's yeah. one kind of three star, and there's another kind of three star in your brain. I mean, when one record is just an acoustic <laughs> guitar and a harmonica, you're you're not really giving it. It's not the same type of great that you're getting with like uh with a full band and great production and all this it's it's a totally different thing but i think it's just as valuable that's my point i say it's um it it's just as worthy um considering what it sets out to do and what this sets out to do is you know relatively modest i think it deserves three stars because um, out of a relatively uh, modest uh, conceit and approach, it ends up feeling like there's something heftier there. And uh, fair enough. That's uh, and if you hear about this record, you hear about what it's supposed to be doing. I I think that you won't be disappointed by it. In no world would would somebody who wants to hear Dylan performing. Cl- uh, traditional folk ballads in the nineties, they're not going to find anything lacking in this. You will certainly get your money's worth. If that's what you're interested in. Three stars of it. Uh, fair, fair enough. One other, uh, parting note here. And this is something that we might end up coming back to in the future, uh, perhaps on the, the Patreon. Uh, but I did just want to want to note it here at the end. Cause we didn't get a chance to chat about it naturally kind of in the flow of things. Uh, uh, Along with World Gone Wrong, which, like Evan mentioned um, previously, I forget if it was on this episode or the previous one, uh, was kind of the end of a contract that he was on with uh, Mm -hmm. Columbia slash Sony, which owned Columbia at this point. Um, And Bob ended up going back to Columbia and so, you know, whatever. Um, uh, Along with all of that, um, he arranged a, uh, you know, a professional recording image, you know, footage and, and sound of a of live performance of a bunch of these songs and other tracks of his own at the Supper Club in New York City um in 1993 at uh at the same time and uh and for whatever reason he was not happy with the performance or the recording or whatever it was never released um but it has been you know circulated it's widely bootlegged um very easy to access if you just google Bob Dylan Supper Club 1993 uh, you can get uh, access to it very easily. Uh, includes a a seven minute acoustic version of "Tight Connection to My Heart," uh, which I was listening to just before. We started uh, this recording. is news to me. Oh my it god! Is, it is a phenomenal artifact. Really? Uh, so uh, wow! Uh, once again, we might we might come back to that in the future uh, as we dive further into live performances on uh, on the Patreon, but. For for those of you at home right now, just uh, Bob Dylan Supper Club 1993. If you're interested, once again, in a seven minute acoustic version of Tight Connection and All Timer in the catalog. That's incredible. I got to listen to that right now. <laughs> well, well, uh, until next time, uh, whether you uh, join us again on Patreon or on a free style episode. Joker man. <laughs> Joker man.
Blood in my eyes for you, baby. I 